If you're just joining us this week and you haven't joined us in quite a while, we are in the midst of a sermon series in the book of Proverbs, and we're preaching through each of the first nine chapters in the book of Proverbs, and then from then on, we'll take a look at some common themes that we see within the book of Proverbs, and today we come to Proverbs chapter 5. So you won't see it in your worship guide, but the title of today's message is this, Do Not Go Near the Door. Do Not Go Near the Door, Proverbs chapter 5. And you'll see that as it comes to the forefront here as we read through the passage of Proverbs chapter 5. But many of you have seen or probably know of what's known as the red light district in Amsterdam. We got a picture not of the district, but of the lights. And there's like a split second where everybody's like, whoa, wait a minute. This is one of these where a pastor gets fired and he has to turn in his letter of resignation that I can say, no, it's just a picture of the lights. So, but uh, some of you have heard of what's known as the red light district in Amsterdam. And it's an area, it's a famous area there in Amsterdam, which is known for its sexual immorality and prostitution and strip clubs and any manner of sexual immorality is on display there. Now, here's the thing about it. Of course, we know that that is a common theme throughout uh, world and human history when a red light is put out or um, something is displayed in red, that that is a, uh, a house in which one can find or a place in which one can find fulfillment of sexual immorality. Um, And Amsterdam's red light district may be the most famous in all of the world. In fact, people go there and take trips there for tourism. They'll actually visit during the day in any manner of the day, even when they say they have no desire to fulfill or to take part in what those places offer. Now, I think it's a really good illustration, though, of this that I think it's a misnomer and I think it's incredibly dangerous of trying to go to an area like that simply for, uh, simply for the tourism of it, just to see what it's all about and to see this from afar. And I think it's a really good example of what we will see coming to the forefront later in this passage of not going near the door. Do not go near the door. Do not even put yourself in the place where you could be tempted with sexual immorality. And so here's the thing we're going to look at today as we look through Proverbs chapter 5. We're going to break it down into four sections here. But it comes down to this. It's going to be on the screen. Write it down. All all sexual immorality can, although, excuse me, I didn't write it out there correctly, but although sexual immorality can appear enticing, it will leave you with bitterness. And it causes you to lose the best years of your life. Instead, listen to this. Find sexual fulfillment with your spouse lest you entrap yourself in your own lack of wisdom. Now, we're going to come back to this uh, throughout the course of this message several times. But what the world would like us to think, and of course we know when we look at biblically, the idea of the world, capital W, which means the world system, uh, the, the, the thoughts, the ideas, the philosophies of the world, which we know ultimately find their foundation in the fallenness of mankind, the fallenness that we have in sin, the fact that we are fallen, dating all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, that means that although we were made good by God, we were created perfect and pure in His image, we know that we have fallen into sin. And so all of the thoughts and ideas and philosophies, no matter how high-minded we might think they are, ultimately find their root in brokenness. And of course, if we believe anything about Scripture, we also believe that there is an enemy known as Satan which seeks to tempt us, 
We can never rely upon and we can never fall back upon the old idea of the devil made me do it. That's not true at all. Because if for some reason you could snap your fingers, the devil and and all of his cohorts known as the demons would disappear, would vanish from the face of the earth, we know that we would still fall into sin because of our own fallenness and brokenness. But what does the enemy do? He pushes the buttons of our own fallenness and brokenness, tempts us to sin, uh, causes us to stumble, tries to make us fall into sin. And, and for the believer in Jesus Christ, he, or for the, for the unbeliever, one who doesn't know Jesus Christ, the enemy is trying to keep us from God, trying to keep us from a relationship with Jesus Christ. But for the person who knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the enemy has lost the ultimate battle of your soul. God has your soul. You are, you are a child of God. So what is the role of the enemy in your life? He's tempting you to ineffectiveness for the gospel. And again, whether he was tempting you or not, whether uh, his forces of of, of the demonic are tempting you or not, it doesn't matter. If they could all be gone tomorrow, you would still have your fallen nature. There would still be your fallen humanness, but yet we're being tempted into sin. And so where where am I coming with this? The world will try to tell you that, oh, God's view or the Christian view of sex, it is oppressive. It is stifling us. God doesn't like sex, or those Christians don't like sex, or whatever you might see. They might be more high-minded than that. It might be uh, more philosophically precise, but that's the idea that you will see from the world, and that's not it at all. Dating back all the way to the book of Genesis, you see that God created sex, and God created us, and God wants what's best for us. God wants what's absolutely best for us. And when you put those two things together, and of course you see from the very witness of Scripture that God created sex for us, and he wants us to experience it in all of its fullness. And the way that we do that, by God's design, because he designed sex and he designed us and he designed human relationships, is to be fulfilled within the boundaries of marriage. So that's what we're going to dig into As we look here through the book of Proverbs, the very first thing that we see, and I'm going to draw the titles of these points from a guy named Warren Wearsby. Some of you have heard Warren Wearsby before. He has great little devotional commentaries, and so different books of the Bible, he'll have commentaries where he breaks down the scripture, and uh, and he does it in more of a devotional manner. And I thought some of this is really, really helpful for uh, many places here in the book of Proverbs. And rather than reinventing the wheel, I love some of the titles he has for how he breaks down scripture here. And the very first one we're going to see is sweetness to bitterness. Sweetness to bitterness. And so let's walk through verses 1 through 6 here with me now in the chapter 5 of the book of Proverbs. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding. Remember, this is a common theme that we see throughout the book of Proverbs. This uh, the, the, the thoughts and the wisdom that we see here in the book of Proverbs, it's an encapsulation of the entirety of the wisdom of the word of God in which we're told to pursue, not let it go, seek after it, find it. Because here's the thing, rather than the wisdom, quote unquote, wisdom of the world, the true wisdom of God is objective truth. We can always trust it. And so we seek after it, pay attention to it, lend your ear to understanding that you may preserve discretion. And your lips may keep knowledge. Dig into the word of God. We'll see it, common theme, over and over in the book of Proverbs. Don't just make it a cursory part of your life, but build your life about, around reading, studying, and living out the word of God. 
And then he gets here to verse 3. We come to the specific topic of today. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. And some of your translations say it's a strange woman. What this is, is this speaks of one who is other than your spouse. Your wife, of course, if you're a husband. Your husband, if you're a wife. And really this whole section, because of it, it becomes a metaphor when we think of application that applies to all of sexual immorality. You see, if we were just to apply it very narrowly, we would say, well, you know, I, I'm not uh, having an extramarital affair with someone other than my wife, but we would like to ignore the fact that we have wandering eyes. We might like to ignore the fact, as we see statistics about rampant pornography, even within the church setting, we like to ignore those things if we're trying to translate it and see it very directly. And of course, we know that a very direct uh, application of this, too, is the is, is a relationship with someone other than your spouse, but it also becomes an application by, by way of metaphor for all of sexual immorality. But in the end, it says, verse 4, but in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, this root that was used for medicinal effects that had an incredible bitterness. So we know although sexual immorality can seem enticing and such, it leaves bitterness. Sharp as any two-edged sword. Sharp as any two-edged sword. I think it's really interesting here that we see that same word used, that same sort of uh, phrasing used for the word of God, as we know in the New Testament. It said it is powerful, powerful as any sharp, sharp two-edged sword for the word of God. But here we see that same power, that same uh, turn of phrase used for sexual immorality. It, too, is powerful. When we think about this, we see this and write it down on the screen here. Listen to this. Sexual immorality can seem enticing. And it can seem exciting, but in the end, it leaves a wake of bitterness and death. Bitterness and death. You know, I've told the illustration before here of, I was reading through a a counseling book, a biblical counseling book one time, and uh, the counselor, she was counseling with a young lady uh, who was living a very sexually promiscuous lifestyle, and it wasn't as though she... Uh, there was, there was some internal guilt with that, and that's why she was coming to counseling, but she was still sort of in the stage of trying to justify and be uh, defiant of, of what she knew was wrong in her life and causing her pain and difficulty. Understandably, she was trying to, to dig her way out of this, but hadn't come yet to that point of surrender and understanding what she was doing was just not right. And uh, the counselor, she could think of nothing else to do, and it just... As she was walking through this, it just the very simple thought came to her to say, has this caused you more happiness or more pain? Has this made your life better or worse? And almost as the counselor was asking it, you know, probably having that internal dialogue of saying that is way too simplistic of a question. But she asked that question, and that's what it took. And the lady that she's counseling just broke, broke and realized, no, I bought into the lie of the world. If I, and it has brought me nothing but bitterness and brokenness in my life. But she realized that, no, God is not a God who, who is opposed to sex. God is not a God who's trying to stifle our sexual expression. God is the God who created sex, and he created the way in which it is to be greatest used, and that's what he wants for us. But sexual immorality can seem exciting and enticing, but in the end, it leaves awake of bitterness and death. Let's keep going here in verse 5 and 6. It says here, her feet go down to death, her steps. Again, that personification of sexual immorality. 
and her steps lay hold of hell, it brings death and destruction, bitterness. Lest you ponder her path of life, that is, that, that considering it, allowing yourself just a little bit more and a little bit more, whether it be something you watch on TV that you wouldn't have watched uh, back when, or maybe it's uh, something that's a little more sexually explicit here that you've seen on, on social media, and then that allows you to do something else, and by the time you know it, you're into full-on pornography or whatever it might be. It is, instead of fleeing from it, it is pondering it, it is considering it, knowing and not understanding that the ways of sexual immorality become and are unstable. You know, some of you probably remember the Chernobyl disaster of the mid-'80s. It was a nuclear power plant in Russia, Soviet Union at the time, uh, which had a nuclear meltdown. And uh, when you know, it spilled radiation into the atmosphere, and, and really that, that area is a ghost town. It's amazing. You'll see drone footage now where they'll fly drones into Chernobyl, and just it, it's, it's creepy. It looks like an absolute ghost town, of which it is, because they had to evacuate the city overnight. And a misconception about the Chernobyl disaster is that there are only the immediate few that were there sort of at ground zero, if you will, of the disaster that were affected by it, physically affected by it. And we know that there were many that have faced acute exposure, roughly 135 people that faced acute exposure, maybe those that were closest to the reactors, doing the highest level of work, the ones that had to shut it down, whatever needed to happen. And of course, about 31 of those people died within three months. So we understand that. But what we also don't understand and we, we forget about is that there were another 25,000 people that were known as liquidators that went in and tried to clean up the site and to try to contain the site as much as possible, soldiers, firefighters, and others who did the cleanup. And many of them have died since that time. Cancer, leukemia, cardiovascular disease. And in the case of people around there, millions have been affected by it, of which you will not see the ramifications for decades to come, and you're beginning to see some of those things now. It's the same for us when we walk outside of God's design for sex in our life. Sometimes we can see the immediate destruction of it. We can see uh, the immediate difficulty and pain that it causes, but oftentimes those consequences will be reaped for many years to come, and so... What is thought to be a, something of sweetness really exposes itself as bitterness. The second thing that we see is gain to loss. Gain to loss. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Again, you see that theme that is common in Proverbs. Why is that so important? Because, again, when we come to that place of trust in our life, trust and faith in our life and what the Lord uh, says and what the Lord leads us to do. Faith and trust means that we are daily walking in the words of God. When we think about the concept of faith, it's not some sort of nebulous idea. It's not like the force in Star Wars or something where we can sort of grasp onto faith or kind of find ourselves in the flow of faith. Faith is very simply, God says this in his word. He has revealed himself to us. He says that These things, these guidelines, these guide rails for your life, I've given you not to stifle you, but I've given you these things as a loving God who wants to help you navigate through a broken world. And faith is simply this. Are we going to trust God or not? Are we going to trust him or not? Are we going to trust what he says? Are we going to trust what the latest guru says? Are we going to trust his word? Are we going to trust what the latest social media influencer says? Are we going to trust what he says or are we going to trust what our own feelings say? 
at the crossroad of decision in life, are we going to trust him or are we not? And so he says, don't remove, my children, do not depart from the words of my mouth. He said, remove your way far from her. And remember, again, we're not just narrowly looking at the idea of an actual illicit relationship with a man or a woman other than our wife, but it's the whole idea of walking outside of God's design for sex. Remove your way far from her, and here we get the title of our message, depart, do not go near the door of her house. Do not go near the door of her house. Here's the thing. Listen to this. It's going to be on the screen. Write it down. If you do not flee sexual immorality, if you do not flee sexual immorality, you will lose the best years of your life. You're going to see it here in just a moment in in, in the scripture. Lose all that you've worked for and even lose your health. Gain to loss. Gain to loss. So it says this, remove your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Don't mess with it. Don't mess with it. What does it tell us? What does Scripture tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? We remember this, 18 and following. Flee sexual immorality. It doesn't say walk calmly away from. It doesn't even say mall walk away from. That's like a, a faster walk, right? It doesn't say mall walk away from sexual immorality. It says flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside of the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. There's, there's an intimacy to it that we understand. We just, we just realize that's the truth. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? So for the believer in Jesus Christ, when we surrender our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life. And we are no longer our own. God has redeemed us. God has bought us back. That's what redemption means from the slave market of sin. And his Holy Spirit resides within us. So we must flee from sexual immorality. One of the best examples we see of this is Joseph from the Old Testament. Remember Potiphar's wife. Potiphar is a powerful general in Egypt. And and Joseph, as he found himself in in, in the nation of Egypt, he became a servant within the house of Potiphar. Well, Potiphar's wife took a shine to him. She started to like him, and she came on to him and made advance. And what did he do? He didn't kind of mess around with it. He said, oh, no, oh, no, you know, and oh, no, no. He fled. He fled to the point where she held on to his garment. He left it behind, and she framed him. He, she framed him to make uh, Potiphar, her husband, think that, that Joseph was the one that made the sexual advance. Now, he fled. And if you know the rest of the story, he did the right thing, and ultimately, God honored his sacrifice. God blessed him greatly there in the land of Egypt. But as we continue on, we see that we must flee. We must flee, of course. Verse 9, lest you give your honor, or some translations say vigor, to others, and your years to the cruel one, your best years of your life, and all that you've worked for. Verse 9, or verse 10, excuse me, lest aliens be filled with your wealth and labors go down to the house of a foreigner, lest others receive, lest you forfeit what you've worked so hard for, and lest you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. So we don't know exactly how walking outside of God's guide rails for our life are going to affect your life specifically, but it can affect it in many ways. It can, you can lose all that you've worked for. You can lose your health. You can face all sorts of difficulty of walking outside of God's plan for sex 
within the boundaries of marriage. Many of you know, uh, probably within recent months, you've heard about the split up of Jeff Bezos. He's the founder of Amazon. And I believe at one time, of course, maybe not now, if it's been settled, but he at one time was the richest man in the world worth $137 billion. $137 billion. He was the founder of Amazon. Well, he was discovered to be having an affair uh, with a, with a t- television reporter. And as you can imagine, it understandably unraveled his marriage. And now uh, their settlement of, of course, splitting, for lack of a better understanding, probably about 50-50 of his fortune. Now, he'll still be an incredibly rich man. But the idea is you see the fallout from these sort, types of decisions, and you can expand them further and further along and apply them in many ways that we've seen throughout our lives. But here's the deal. Instead of luxury, this sinner gets misery. Wiersbe continues to say, instead of riches, poverty. Instead of success, ruin. And instead of a good reputation, the name of an adulterer. We never know exactly how it's going to affect our lives, but God's word never returns void. In some way, we will face consequences. You know, it could be lost in maybe a subtle way, such as uh, you and your wife, your spouse, just aren't on the same page. Maybe you've never gone so far as to commit physical adultery with someone else, but you and your wife just aren't on the same page, so you're just divided rather, be, rather than being a team. Or it can be something more obvious, such as loss of a marriage through sexual immorality of your life, or even a loss of a job. Some things like that we can see, and we can apply it in understandable ways throughout the course of our life and what we've seen by way of example. So the third thing that we see, not only do we see sweetness to bitterness, gain to loss in verses 7 through 14, but also purity to pollution. Purity to pollution. Verse 15 and following says this, drink water from your own cistern. I love this word picture. It is the picture of drinking the water is sexual fulfillment. It says, drink it from your own cistern. Don't go try to draw it out of another cistern. Don't try to find sexual fulfillment with another person or another avenue, such as pornography or something else. Drink water from your own cistern and, a running, and running water with your own well. Your fountains, should, your fountains should be dispersed, or should your fountains be dispersed abroad in streams of water in the streets? He said, should that be done? And it's a rhetorical question. Of course it should not. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad and streams of water in the street? No. Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman, the strange woman, and be embraced in the arms of a seductress. Listen to this. And I love, again, we've drawn several things from Warren Wearsby, and I love this quote here. Write it down. It's going to be on the screen. Sex within marriage is a beautiful river that brings life and refreshment. But, out, but sex outside of marriage is a sewer that defiles everything it touches. Everything it touches. Now, here's the thing. Some of you sit in this room and you say, man, I've really messed up. I've... That means God will never forgive me. There's nothing that could be further from the truth. God has forgiveness for any sin that we fall into, whether it be gossip, whether it be slander of another, whether it be greed, whether it be sexual immorality, God brings forgiveness. 
Now, lest we flirt with it and we say, oh, that's all right. I'll just kind of do what I want. I'll sow my wild oats. God will forgive me and all my consequences will be gone. We never see in Scripture that God will completely remove all consequences of our sin, no matter what that sin might be, whether it be sexual immorality, whether it be gossip, slander, uh, greed, lying, whatever it may be. We never see that consequences are completely removed. There might be some that are. And God in his, his wisdom and his timing knows what he's doing in those things. But let me tell you what, there is, there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness. But purity to pollution. We take what God has made beautiful, and that's the essence of all sin. We take what God has made beautiful and pure and right, and it's distorted by our sin nature, and it's distorted by the enemy, and it's distorted by our world. We take what God has made good, and it's distorted. So he says again, drink water from your own cistern and running well and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad and streams of water in the streets? Let them be your own and not for strangers with you. And look at this in verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Flip over again with me if you'd like. If not, just listen along to 1 Corinthians. And this time we're going to be in chapter 7. So lest we think and lest we believe the lie of the world that God has not created us for sex and God, or God has not created sex for us and, and that sex is not a good thing, listen to what he says here in chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 and following. He says, Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. This is in a long string talking about sexual purity and sexual morality. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. That means when we come into a, a submissive relationship, when we commit to one another a sacrificial relationship of marriage, we are saying in that marriage covenant, that marriage relationship, that I am giving myself to you for your fulfillment and likewise. Listen, so what, what does he say here in verse 5? Do not deprive one another other than accept with this consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer to, to come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He says, he, he says that we have been given to one another. We sacrifice ourselves for one another. And it's not something that is to be for us that we think selfishly, but in everything in marriage, everything in marriage. When I'm doing marriage counseling, the thing that we talk about more than anything is sacrifice, sacrifice. Before we talk about finances, before we talk about sex and marriage, anything, we talk about sacrifice because that is the name of the game for those that are in a marriage relationship. Are we going to act like Christ or are we going to sacrifice for the other person? And guess what? If both sides of a marriage, if husband and wife in a marriage are sacrificing for one another, guess whose needs are taken care of? Both. Both. Sacrifice, the name of the game. You see, when we think about giving ourselves away to another, when we think about that uh, wonderful metaphor, that powerful metaphor here of, 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 of drinking from our own cistern, running water from our own well, as opposed to the, our streams of, of the sexual blessing in our life just being kind of poured out everywhere. You know, it's never been easier to give ourselves away and give our body to another. It's never been easier to give ourselves away, May, not only physically with, you know, just the plethora of hookup apps that there are out there, you know, where you can just kind of hook up in casual sexual relationships and sites and the like, 
but also digitally giving ourselves away with things like pornography, giving ourselves away with maybe watching movies that we shouldn't, that entice ourselves to, to, to sexual sin. It has never been easier. But again, God has designed you to find the greatest fulfillment of your sexual desire in a loving, listen to this, loving, committed, confident, confident, and shame-free relationship of marriage. That's the way God designed it. You're not worried about, okay, I, I found somebody on this hookup app, and you know, are they going to like me, or are they going to think that I'm this, or are they going to think that I'm that? You are in a loving confident, the way that God designed it, committed, confident, shame-free relationship with your spouse. That's the way God designed it. So we think sweetness to bitterness, gain to loss, purity to pollution, and finally, freedom to bondage. Freedom to bondage. You see, when we think about walking in God's ways, it's freedom. But when we walk in sexual immorality, it becomes bondage in our life. And really, this is a summation, if you will, for entirety of, of, of God's guidelines and guideposts within the book of Proverbs. Look at this on the screen. Sexual immorality, write it down, sexual immorality is another example of how one is ensnared by one's own sin. When one is ensnared by one's own sin. He will come to ruin because of aimlessness and lack of wisdom. Again, Throughout the book of Proverbs, whatever the issue might be, whatever the guideline is, whatever the guidepost is, God is telling us not to live with aimlessness of the world. Just kind of follow your feelings. Do whatever you want to do because feelings will always lead us astray or they will ultimately lead us astray. You might get it right sometimes. You know the old saying of a blind hog finds an acorn every once in a while or sometimes a blind squirrel. My dad's from East Texas, so we say a blind hog finds an acorn every once in a while. So sometimes our feelings will get it right. But our feelings are based upon the brokenness of our humanity. So for constantly living on feelings and living by the, the old uh, saying of the world or just, hey, do what you want, do what you feel, you will not uh, get it right all the time. In fact, you will get it wrong most of the time. But what are we called to do? Not live with aimlessness, but live with the truth of God's word. And so he says here in verse 21, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. God understands all of our ways. The, the words of Proverbs are just as relevant as they were in the days of Adam and Eve as they are in 2019. For the ways of man are before the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his own sin. But what another powerful metaphor that we see there of walking through something that's just kind of entrapping us and just kind of tangling us. You know, my wife loves when our basement, uh, our basement TV room just gets full of pillows and blankets and stuff like that, don't you? You just love it. No, she doesn't. When all the pillows get pulled off the couches and all the blankets, we got you probably like us, you got, we got a basket about this big full of blankets down there. And they all seem to end up in the middle of the, uh, of the TV room. And what happens? You know, we try to walk through there and you just get entangled with it and you start falling over. And really, this is the idea that we see here in the words. You get entrapped and get ensnared by one's own sin. It says in verse 23, he shall die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Folks, don't buy into the lie of the world and buy into the lie of the enemy that God is just some sort of ogre sitting upon a cloud trying to stifle your fun. There's nothing that could be further from the truth. God is the loving Father of heaven who always, always does what's right for you. 
He is the only being in your life, not even your mother, not even your mother is always going to have your best interest at heart. Only the Lord. Only the Lord. He is not some ogre sitting upon a cloud trying to stifle your fun. He is the just, perfect, pure, all-knowing God of heaven who loves you and always wants what's best for you. And he is not the God who is trying to stifle the fun of, of sex, just free sex in our world. He is the God who created it, and he created the guidelines for it that you might enjoy it for all that it's worth. Once again, let's end right where we started. Although sexual immorality can appear enticing, it will leave you with bitterness, and it causes you to lose the best years of your life. Instead, find sexual fulfillment with your spouse, lest you entrap yourselves in your own lack of wisdom. Let's pray. Lord God, again, help us not to buy the lies of the world, whether it be this one or whether it be the plethora of others. God, you are not a a God who's trying to stifle us, trying to stifle our fun or creativity or whatever it might be. But Lord, you are a God who wants what's best for us and you know what's best for us even when we don't know it ourselves. So God, would you strengthen our faith? God, the essence of our faith is that we know what you've told us to do for all the situations of life. We can see it in your word. There's no situation that comes our way in which we do not have wisdom from your word that applies. And so it comes down to a matter of, are we going to trust you? Are we going to do it your way? Even though the benefit, the payoff might not be immediate, we might not see the immediate uh, truth coming to the surface. We might not see the immediacy uh, of, of the payoff. Are we going to trust you? Are we going to trust you, God? So even we need you to help strengthen our faith, our trust in you. God, I pray now as well for those that are here that do not know your son Jesus as their Savior, whether it be through this message, whether it be through study this morning, if they came to Bible study, maybe you speaking in their lives uh, for months, weeks, months, years. Lord, may they come to the place where they would yield themselves unto you and surrender their lives unto your son Jesus Christ. And in his name we do pray. Amen.